is going to be problematic. <laughs> Sunday morning is going to be rough. So if I'm sipping on some water, it's because my vocal cords are still a little rough from Friday, but I don't mind because it was absolutely, absolutely worth it. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Thrive, and uh, just a few weeks ago, we announced and moved into a new season. Well, it was actually a couple months ago, we announced the name change for our church, and then just a few weeks ago, we celebrated this new season as Thrive Church, and God's just been doing some great things. We're, seeing, we're hearing a lot of testimonies of what God's doing in people's lives. Um, we celebrate what God has done in, our, in, in the past in our church, and we look forward to everything that's ahead. Well, part of this transition has been uh, sharing with you and, and talking about what Thrive Church is all about and what we feel like and what we believe God is saying. It's not even a feeling what we know that God has spoken to us as pastors, myself as the lead pastor at the church, our, ch- our church leadership team, our pastoral team about the future and, and the direction we're going as a church. So we've been talking about uh, our vision, our mission, and our values. Our vision, our, our mission, and our values. I want to um, read those real quick for us. We're going to put, put them up on our screen. Uh, our vision here at Thrive Church is this. Uh, it's helping people thrive in Christ. Helping people thrive in Christ. Anyone want to thrive? Anyone feel like, you know what, thriving is just something I want to, yeah. I think all of us would say, yeah, thriving is something that we want to do. The key here, of course, is in Christ. It's all about Jesus and how he can bring us into a place in our lives with thriving. So if we press in a little deeper, our mission statement is this. We, we exist to help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into the world to reach others. And so there's a process. We need a plan. We talked about and had people raise their hand who the planners in the room were, who needs to to work the plan and, you know, check the boxes. And I'm discovering that even though I'm I'm highly relational and I I tend to fly by the seat of my pants more, that I actually, it's less stress when you have a plan. Can I get an amen? There's less stress involved, and, and, and there's a sense of accomplishment, and so planning is good, and so it, it, that applies to church. This is our plan. Knowing, growing, serving, going is our plan. It's, it's the process by which we, we believe that God is going to take people from surviving to thriving, and it's intentional. We're going to talk more about that in the future, but today we're going to continue talking about our values. And I introduced these last Sunday. We're going to put them up on the screen, all, all eight of them. Um, these are our values. God first, people matter, love does, grace extended, live in community, ministry and team, bring your best, and commit to growth. These are our values. These are the, the, the principles by which we do church. We do life together. There are, are kind of our, our guidelines. Our, uh, you ever been bowling and you put the bumpers up, right, to make sure you don't go in the gutter? These are our bumpers. These help us to stay on track with how we're doing. It gives us something measurable to say, how are we doing in these areas of our life? It's, it helps us to do church family well. And so these core values aren't just uh, for an organizational thing, but they're personal. And so last Sunday, I talked about God first and people matter. And I'm packed out a little bit. If you missed last Sunday, I encourage you to go to the website. The, the sermon is posted there, and you can li- listen to that. Um, but just talking about the fact that God has to come first in our lives, in our families, in our church, in everything we do. If God's not glorified, we don't do it. And, and that just is across 
the board. And you would think that would just kind of go without saying for a church, but, but I've been to plenty churches where, plenty, plenty churches, plenty of churches, where, where you kind of wonder, like, where's God in the midst of this? How's God moving? How's he glorified in this instead of people? And so we want to make sure at the end of the day, God's glorified, and then people matter. You matter to God. Can I just tell you this morning, you matter to God, and we should matter to each other. We should care about each other and, and really, genuinely, you know, with a godly love, love each other, which is a perfect segue into this morning, Love Does. Today, we're going to talk about Love Does, the value of Love Does. Well, we could just say, well, we, we value love, but, but Love Does makes it an action, doesn't it? It makes it an action. Maybe you've uh, heard of the book by the same title, Love Does, written by Bob Goff. Um, I, I picked that book up and I couldn't put it down and, and Bob just writes this, this, uh, all these stories about things that, that has happened in his life where he's seen love expressed in practical ways and uh, if you've not read it, it's a great book, it's an easy read, um, but I love, the, I love the title and so we, we share this value with the name of that book, Love Does. Love is not stationary, love doesn't just sit around and, 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 and kind of take a back seat. Love needs to be action in our lives. And we take our cue not from our good ideas, but from the Word of God, because that is our foundation. Amen? John 3.16. John 3.16. We'll put it up on the screen, but we probably don't need to. Probably everyone in the room has heard that passage before. Let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved that he gave. Love does. Love doesn't think about. Love does. Love doesn't just consider. Love does. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. Jesus loves you, and we know this because he came from heaven for you, every one of us. And expand on our, our value, each one of our values has a statement that goes along with it. So with that in mind, this is what love does. We are compelled by love. I love that word, compelled. We are compelled by love. For God so loved that he gave, and we do the same. Every day is full of opportunities and divine appointments to put love into action. You agree with that this morning? Say amen. amen. Every day, every day, every one of us has opportunities put in front of us to share the love of Jesus in practical, real, tangible, honest, genuine ways. The question, though, is this. Do we? Do we? Do we put those things into practice? I tell you what, as I was even preparing for this message this morning, the thing that the Lord kept bringing back to my heart was, are you doing this in your home? Are you doing this with your wife? Are you doing this with your kids? And I was like, okay, okay. Because you can't have a conversation about love does with, without looking at your own life and starting to unpack and experience and, and investigate and, and inspect the things in your own life, the people right around you, which is a good thing. Because I think we could all stand to love more. 
every one of us, the most loving person in this room, we could love more. Because there's so many things that get in the way, so many things that become a distraction, so many things that throw us off course. Our thinking, our culture, the world around us, my, our busyness, our busyness. I am coming to, to despise that word, busy. I can't stand it, because I hear it all the time. People come up and say, Pastor, I know you're busy. I don't want to bother you. Oh, it crushes my heart, because I'm like, Lord... I don't want to be busy. In fact, I got to hear um, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we just got done with that, that series. I heard him say this. In fact, it wasn't even him. It was him and his wife at a conference, and they were answering questions. And they said, what do you do when people come up, and, and they want to have more of your time, and, and you, you know, you, you're just busy? And he goes, um, you know, she says, yeah, we, you know, we get that a lot but we're not busy, we're limited. We're not busy, we're limited. And I love that perspective, but busyness prevents you. And realizing you have limitations, but then you function within those limitations. I'm getting off course, but that's a little freebie right there. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, say it with me, God is love. Say it again. God is love. You are not the source of love. You in and of yourself don't have it to give. And whatever it is you think you can give out of your own self is really a cheap imitation I love Harbor Freight tools. I'm a tool guy. And, and there's certain tools that I will buy at Harbor Freight, and there's certain tools I will not buy at Harbor Freight because they're, they might look the part, right? I have an impact screwdriver that, that is not from Harbor Freight because they just don't do that well. It's a cheap imitation. It might look the part, but in a few weeks, it's going to fall apart, right? That was good. That wasn't even my notes. I'll write that down. It might look the part, but in a few weeks, it's going to fall apart. Whatever we think we have to give in the way of love, we don't, we don't have it. But God says, love one another because it flows from me. God is, love is from God, and whoever has been born of God um, knows God. And, and anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. I don't want to spend too much time here because we did talk about this last week. But, but this is so critical for us to know, church. If you don't love, you don't know God. So, so the question should be on every one of our minds, am I loving? And what does love look like? Because if, I, if, if my expression of love determines whether or not I know God, I want to get that right. Do you want to get that right? I want to get that right. John, who writes more about love more than any of the apostles, uh, goes on to say, in fact, previously in 1 John 2, verse 9, he writes this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love? This kind of love. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. You are a child of God. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. 
what kind of love? That he adopted you into his family and he saved you from your sin, that he gave his son and he's given you new life, made you a new creation. Of course, we can't have a conversation without love, about love without going to the go-to passage, 1 Corinthians 13, speaking, uh, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love... I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Do you catch how many absolutes there are in there? Always and never, always and never, always and never. That there's no wiggle room when it comes to love. That God's got a very specific idea of what love is. And sometimes I think we, we gloss over these passages in our, in our walk with the Lord and we miss the gravity of what God wants us to be as his body, as his bride. See, because church, love does. Love does. So that's all the setup. All of those passages are the setup of what I want to share this morning. It's a, it's a good foundation. In fact, it's a critical foundation for us to have the conversation I want us to have this morning. Here's what I want to ask you, though. Make sure you have a pen handy and something to write on because we're going to do a couple of things this morning that are out of the norm, out of the norm. I, I, uh, I'm going to don't be freaked out. It's not going to be weird or anything, but you're going to take some time yourself to write some things down, uh, and I want to give place in the service today for you to actually engage and encounter uh, God's Word this morning and make it practical. So I want to present two perspectives this morning that I think are necessary when we have a conversation about love does. Two perspectives that we, or two lenses that we need to uh, use to inspect and, 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 and review what love is and what love does, especially as uh, believers and as a, uh, a church body. I also want to say this real quick. This morning, and, and, and as, even as we go through this series, because these are our values, we may share these values with other churches, but, but this is unique and distinct to us because we're Thrive Church. The church down the street is not Thrive Church. They're another church. And they have their values and they have the things that God has said, this is the kind of family you're going to be. And, and even represented in this room, we have different families who do things a different way, who have different family values. These values are germane to us. They're distinct to us. And so I want to speak through that perspective that this is for us. And we might touch on some larger big church ideas, but keep coming back to this idea that this is for us. Sound good? All right. 
So the two perspectives, first one is this, that we have received God's love. See, if you don't understand that you've received God's love, you won't be able to give God's love. And so I wanted to start this morning with, with this perspective that you have received God's love. And, and I intend for this, and I hope this is for you, a point of encouragement. Uh, even as I was coming into this morning and praying over the service, I felt like God just wanted to bring a lightness to our, our, our body, to our congregation. Because I realize in the midst of talking about vision and mission, it can be a lot of, this is what we need to do. Here's where we need to press in. This is what we're calling you up to do. This is the point of contact, the point of agreement. This is, and it can kind of be a little weighty, right? It is for me. You, you, you're just being polite. Um, and it's important conversations to have, but I thought, Lord, I also want to make sure that we're being uplifted in this, and this isn't just something to do. You've, you've received love from God, and you are receiving love from God daily, that the expressions of his love are in front of you, whether you realize it or not. How many of you woke up this morning and took a breath? Every one of you, right? The love of God given to you this morning, right? I heard someone say, you know, what's the last time you thank God for your toes? Right? You don't think about it. I have toes, and, but because I have toes, I have balance, and I can stand up, and I don't get out of bed and just fall on my face. God, thank you for my toes. That you love me enough to design me with toes, with a big toe. Thank you, Jesus. That all throughout the day, we have the love of God expressed to us, and we might miss it. Second Peter 1, 1 through 7, the Apostle Peter writes this, reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read all seven of these verses. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing you uh, to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Let me stop there for a second. Peter, Peter was not like John. Peter was not like John. John. John even writes of himself in his gospel that he was the one that Jesus loved, um, which is pretty audacious if you think about it. He, doesn't refer, he refers to himself in the third person, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, but he's talking about himself. And, and, and Jesus and, and John had this, this relationship, this tender relationship. Peter was just kind of more that junior high presence in Jesus' life. <laughs> Come on, Peter. Talking out of, I can say that I was junior high pastor for many years. I love junior hires with a passion. But man, you're just not all, you're right, the, the faculties aren't just all functioning the way they should, and they're saying things and doing things that you're like, you did what? Well, I climbed up the tree to do, no, 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 no. Peter was just that presence in, in, around Jesus where he just was brash and bold and did stuff. And, and, and so as, as we continue to read this, remember that, that Peter had a different kind of relationship with Jesus, okay? A little context. He goes on to say, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Peter saying that, of course, because he was given a lot of grace. 
By his divine power, God has given you everything. Every, everybody say everything. everything. Now say it like you mean it. Everything. everything. We need for living a godly life. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Amen. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patience, patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. With love for everyone. I love the progression here. God's done something for you and in you. And there's a response. There's an appropriate response. But the big thing I want to focus on here is this. That God has given you, we see in verse 1, faith. That Jesus has given you the gift of faith. To be able to believe and put your faith in him and be saved. It is a gift from God to you. In verse 2, more and more grace and peace. That God has an unlimited supply, an unlimited supply of grace and peace for you. Anyone feel like they need more grace and peace today? He's not going to run out. There's never going to be a day where God goes, you go, God, I need some, some grace. I need some peace in my life. And he's like, sorry, I'm all out. Would you like something different? Right? In the restaurant business, it's called 86ing it, right? Any servers? Is that right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's 86. It's off. Cross that off. We don't have that tonight. God never 86s anything. He's got more grace and peace to give every single day. Verse 3, I love this. Everything we need for living a godly life. Well, Lord, I just don't feel like I have what it takes. Oh, actually, you do because I've given it to you. You have everything you need for living a godly life. Everything you need. There's, I can't even unpack that anymore because it just is what it is. Verse 4, great and precious promises to share in his divine nature. The word is full of promises for you. So God doesn't just save you, but then he gives promises that says, I want to give you an amazing life. I want you to, to, to be abundant in everything. I want you to thrive. And to let you know that, I've, I've given you these promises. Promise after promise after promise after promise. But, but of course, the biggest promise there is this, that we will share in his divine nature and be restored to the image that he created us in when he formed Adam and Eve. When he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and as I've created you in my image and breathed your life into your lungs. By the way, if we're conformed to his image, we just read about what is God? God is? God is love. Which means that if the promises that I am sharing in his divine nature, that means I should be love. I should be love, just like him. If I'm created in the image of God, 
the qualities that make him God, those expressions of who he is should be present in my life. Verse 5, in view of all of this, Peter says, strive after, go after, add to your life, add to this faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and then he caps it all with this, love for some people if you like them. Some people, if they agree with you, if they're nice to you. No, love for everyone. And by everyone, he means everyone. Everyone. We're going to stop here for a minute. I want you to grab a piece of paper. I want you to write down what are the ways that God has expressed his love to you? What are you most thankful for? the things that he's deposited in your life. I won't even give him more context than that. Just write down, what are you thankful for? Okay. So God's expressed his love for us through the person of Jesus Christ and given us everything we need, given us his Holy Spirit to empower us, forgiveness from our sin, made us sons and daughters, adopted us into his eternal family. The Bible says that you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people set apart for him. It's who you are. It's who you are. God also expresses his love for you through other people. Through other people. And, and quite often, that is the primary means by which his love comes to us. Of course, in prayer and in his word. But Jesus loves to use people to share his love with other people. In fact, it's been God's design all along. In fact, he says to Israel in the Old Testament that you would be a prophetic witness as a nation, that you would be a prophetic witness to the world of who God is. And because God doesn't change, it means the God of the Old Testament was also a God of love, right? We can, draw, we can connect those dots and draw those conclusions confidently 
Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so the God of the Old Testament was as much a God of love as, he, as the God of the New Testament. Same God. God's expressed his love for you through people. Every one of us has stories, I'm sure, of how God has shown his love. I want to I wanna shift from being preachy to being a little bit of a storyteller this morning. Um, I want to share some stories from my life. Not if I could stand here and go, hey, let me tell you how I've loved people well. I also wrote a really book, good book on humility. Um, <laughs> humility and how you, you can be humble like me, or humility and how I attained it. I want to stand here and tell you how you should, how, how you should love people, how I should love people, or how I have loved people. I want to tell you some stories of how I've seen the love of Jesus expressed through people to me. I'll go all the way back to when I was five years old. I don't remember the lady's name, but it was at a family camp. And she was an old lady, but I was five years old, so she might not have been that old. Um, but she was old to me. I just remember <laughs> there was a lady who, in an A-frame chapel at a family camp, asked me if I wanted to receive Jesus. And I said, yes. And she prayed with me. Love does. Love leads people to Jesus. I went to a Catholic boys' school, and uh, about third or fourth grade, it's probably fourth grade, we went on a science trip, and, uh, and I had money set aside. I'd taken some money to go to the snack bar um, at this camp we were at, and someone stole my money. And I was distraught over it, as any fourth grader would be when it comes to candy. Um, <laughs> Brother Dylan, our headmaster, gave me money. He said, Barry, I, I want to give you some money so you can go to the snack bar. I remember it. I remember that moment, standing there, just be blown away that my headmaster would give me money. Love does. Years later, Megan and I were married, and big fast forward here. Um, we, in fact, we were engaged. We were, weren't even married yet, but um, as many college students who were engaged and trying to make ends meet and pay for school are, we were just flat broke, just no money. And we would go to church, and our friends Jeff and Lynn uh, would consistently say things like this, hey, we went grocery shopping and we got too much food. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm older now. That never happens <laughs> unless you're really hungry, right? But you never just go away going, oh, man, how do we end up with these extra four gro grocery bags full of food? But we would go to church and then they would call, up, uh, call us over and say, listen, um, we have some food for you. You were on our hearts, and, and we got you th these groceries. Love does. We're getting ready to church plant in Anchorage, Alaska, and we were starting to get rid of our furniture because 
we couldn't afford a bit truck big enough to haul everything from LA to Anchorage. And we got a phone call from a pastor named Randy who said, oh, by the way, our church is paying for a 40-foot shipping container for you guys and for your team so you can ship all of your belongings to Alaska and we're gonna pay for the shipping on your cars. Love does. My friend Dave, who at one of the lowest points in my life, sitting alone at home in Anchorage in what I can recognize now was depression, out of the blue just gives me a call and says, hey, I've been thinking about you today and the Lord put on my heart to call you. How are you? So he didn't just say a little prayer, say, hey, I hope Barry's okay. He picked up the phone and said, I love you. What's going on? And that was a turning point in my life. That one phone call was a turning point in my life. Excuse me. Because he did something. Love does. My friend, Pastor Richard Irwin, who sat with Megan and I and cried with us, went out of his way, took hours to sit with us and talk and share wisdom. In fact, Richard was the one when we first arrived in Anchorage. I'd never really met him before. He had been Megan's pastor when she was in, in high school. And I walked up to him. In fact, he was sitting in a chair similar to this. And I walked up and I, I tapped him on the shoulder. It was a Friday night worship service. And I said, hey, Pastor Richard, I just want to introduce myself. Um, I'm Barry. I'm Megan Hugerhide's husband, Megan's maiden name. And that man who is about this tall and just robust <laughs> flew out of that chair and hugged me around my neck and said, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Whatever you need, you let me know. Not a four-square pastor, but a minister of the gospel. And I can honestly say one of the few apostolically gifted men I've ever met. That man stood up in front of his church and said, hey, this couple is planting a church. If you're called to go with them, you need to obey that. And people left that church and came with us. Because love does. Our friend Jim, who during that same season when things were just low, would get on an airplane from the Northwest and fly to Anchorage just to sit and be with us. Take time away from his wife. Because love does. Our friends Greg and Patty, when we were traveling, started a ministry and we were traveling and we're just sharing with them, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we don't, we're just trusting God. Friends Greg and Patty come to us the next day and said, hey, listen, uh, we know you're staying in hotels as you travel, but we have a travel trailer and if you want it, it's yours. Because love does. My friends Dean and Lisa, who approached me and said, hey, Barry, we know that you want to go to Africa, you want to go to Kenya and do a, a pre-missions trip, um, and we'd like to go with you, and I said, that, that'd be great, and I'm wondering, I don't even have the money to be able to go, and they said, by the way, we'll go on one condition. Well, what's that? Well, uh, we want to pay for your ticket and for all of your expenses, and I thought, well, that's awesome, <laughs> but it gets better. 
See, because Dean and Lisa cashed in air miles and we flew first class on Virgin Atlantic to Kenya and back, and it ruined me for travel. Um, <laughs> and I thought, Lord, it can't get any better, but, but it got better because my best friend lives in England, and on the way back, they scheduled and paid extra for me to be able to stop for four days and visit my friend in England because love does. My friend Rock, who came to me and said, hey, I know that when you came back from Alaska, you had a lot of credit card debt. I, he's like, he didn't even know. He just assumed, but he assumed correctly because it was an expensive move. And he says, how many credit cards do you have? And I said, we have three. And he, gives, he says to me, give me one of them. And Rock and his wife paid off just over $3,000 of credit card debt for us. Because love does. See, God chooses to express his love for us through people. I, I could keep going. I, have, I had to be selective about the names. But love does. And every one of us have received the love of God through people. So I'm going to pause again. We're going to stop for a minute. Because I think sometimes we don't take time to take stock and remember. And things get difficult and we go, oh God, do you know I'm here? And he's like, well, just look at the track record. So take a minute in that same piece of paper and would you write down the names of some people in your life who've expressed the love of Jesus to you? Whatever that looks like where you knew this is the love of Jesus that's coming through right now. Take a minute and write down some of those names. probably more that you need to write down so don't let it end here take time today let's say this week but take time today while it's fresh and write down some more there's probably ones you're missing and, and you know what a good thing would be to, to bless them you know how you can share the love of Jesus with each one of those is to just say thank you shoot them a text message or an email hey, I, I remember when you did that for me those words that you said, that time that you spent with me, the gift that you gave. 
and let the love of Jesus flow right back. You are loved. You are absolutely, completely, totally loved. Jesus is so in love with you. God the Father adores you more than you can even fathom. You are loved. And with that in mind, here's the second perspective. We have love to give. We have love to give. We must give God's love. We must give God's love. I use the must. Not like the, it's not my favorite word. Mandatory, must, required. I think in our culture we're like, I just have this kind of aversion to that. Don't tell me what to do. Right? Right? I'm free. (laughs) But how can we not? How can we not? Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Reading in verse 13 to 15, I'm reading out of the NIV. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Everyone say compels. Compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who, should, who, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's powerful. He keeps going later on and he talks about how we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That that Christ died for you. Once and for all, he died. And those he died for, that we no longer live for ourselves. We're a new creation and we belong to him. Which means that that expression of love that saved us should flow out of us every moment of every day. It compels us. It should drive us. It should be our daily motivation. Paul writes there uh, right at the top, he says, if we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. That's a weird sentence to read. If we're out of our mind, but listen, if you've ever been madly in love, you know what he's talking about. If you've fallen in love, I remember when I was, when I fell in love with Megan, I was out of my mind. I really was. I I just was weird. Probably freaked her out a little bit. I couldn't contain it. And she was just like, what, who are you? You're, You're a weirdo. Because of love, I was like, what is going on with me? I, this is not infatuation. Like this, this, I just got to be with her. Now I made it a little weird, and we had to take a little break. <laughs> because I was out of my mind, and God had to get a hold of me and go, okay, cool down there, dude. 
But Paul's saying the same thing. He goes, the love of God has done something to me that I, it looks like I'm out of my mind. To the world, we look, should look like crazy people, but not like weird crazy people, like the cool crazy people, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like there's the crazy people. You're like, you're crazy, but man, you're cool. I like, I like the way you do life. You're just kind of living on the edge. And rather than watching the videos of them on Facebook, we should be them. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's, it's for you. And that's where Paul says, but I bring that under control because I don't want to freak you out. Right? There's bigger context there. But when you're in love and when love has captured you, it changes everything about who you are. And we try so hard to make love something that's rational, rational and sensible. Well, let me plan out my love. Just, you know, I'll, I'll be loving on this day in October and late November I've got an opening. That's not love. Love, like I said, was my friend Jim who said, you know what? Barry and Megan are hurting. I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Alaska in the middle of winter. That's love. Why? Because he was compelled because the love of God was in him and the love of God should be in every one of us. It should be our driving force. Why? As Paul says, because I'm absolutely convinced of what God has done for me. I'm absolutely convinced that God gave his son, that Jesus came, that he died for me, that he rose again, and he's extended eternal life and salvation and, and transformation and renewal and regeneration and propitiation and all these shins. And he said, I want you to thrive, not just survive, and I'm going to give you everything you need to do that. That we're not the same people. And it should just pour out of us, but we, bring, we make it rational. Let me plan it out. And no. No. Read the Bible. You'll discover that there's some people doing some pretty crazy things. There's people giving things away, selling their houses in their land and saying, you know what, just take the money because someone else needs it way more than I do. I'm going to leave everything that I've known and everything that's comf comfortable and I'm going to follow the call of God in my life. That's loving. You know that following God's call on your life is the most loving thing you could do because someone on the other end is going to receive what you have to give. But when we stand in a place and go, well, you know, I've got all of these other things that I need to just first take care of, Jesus dealt with those people pretty harshly. If you look back, now, again, I was going into the heavy stuff again, but it compels us, church. Are you compelled today? I hope so, and if not, and I, and, I, and I don't want you to be compelled because I told some stories and maybe your emotions were affected. That's not compelling. In fact, my hope would be that my stories didn't detract from the main point here, that God's love is so lavish for you and it should just flow right back out of you. I want to read an excerpt 
out of Bob Goff's book, Love Does. Bob, who is an attorney, he's a speaker, uh, travels the world, he works in third world nations. The guy's just, he's crazy. Um, he, he spends every Thursday uh, at his office at Disneyland. Used to be Tom Sawyer Island, but they're actually under construction, so I was wondering, I wonder what he does now. But he would go to Disneyland every Thursday, um, and he would go sit at the, there's a bench right on the landing there that no, no one ever uses, like a picnic table, and that's his office. He calls it his office, and that's where he dreams. He dreams about what he could do and things that, 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 that are outside of the, what a great place to dream. Disneyland is a great place to dream. And we've lost this, this ability to dream big for God and even for ourselves. So he goes and he sits there and he writes this. Somewhere in each of us, I believe there's a desire for a place like Tom Sawyer Island, a place where the stuff of imagination, whimsy and wonder are easier to live out and not just think about or put off until next time. This is a weighty thing to think about on my island, but I often consider what I'm tempted to call the greatest lie of all time. And that lie can be bound up in two words, someone else. On Tom, Tom Sawyer Island, I reflect on God, who didn't choose someone else to express his creative presence to the world, who didn't tap the rock star or the popular kid to get things done. He chose you and me. We are the means, the method, the object, and the delivery vehicles. God can use anyone for sure. If you can shred on a fender or one best personality, you're not disqualified. It just doesn't make you more qualified. You see, God usually chooses ordinary people like us to get things done. As I sit on my island it becomes clear that we need to stop plotting the course and instead just land the plane on our plans to make a difference by getting the do part, the do part of faith. That's because love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or planning for it. Simply put, love does. The lie, someone else. Someone else will do it. Someone else has got it. Someone else, no, 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 no. If it's in your heart, it's because God put it there. If you're thinking about it, it's because the Holy Spirit is stirring that thought. What are the dreams? I look at a room like this and I wonder, what are the dreams that are holed up in this place? The dreams that God has given, that he wants to release in each one of us, you know that Jesus changed the world with fewer people than are sitting in this room. And you're here because they walked in obedience to God's call in their lives. What's the potential of Thrive Church, of us sitting in this room right now, to radically love and change the world? We can't begin to fathom it. But guys, could I suggest this morning that it's time for us to start, stop thinking about it and start doing, start living it. To express love does, the truth is this, God chose you. And to be clear, love is not charity. 
Love is not charity. The easiest thing you could do is write a check. And I believe in our culture and in our Western mindset, we think that if I write a check or if I click like on Facebook, that I've made a difference. Now, God needs resource. I mean, he doesn't need resource. God releases resource through his people, right? But there's more important things than money. I read this this week. Let me say this. Love is relationship. Love isn't charity. Love is relationship. Always, always, always relationship. This was something that was stated at the Catalyst Conference that's going on right now back east, and I don't know who said it, but I read this and I thought, this, this is perfect. See, charity is giving crumbs from your table and removes us from the hard work of building human relationships, relationships with people who are not like us, but rather we should pursue justice which is not giving someone crumbs from your table, but providing a place for them at your table. And we've bought into a mindset, if I just toss a little money at it or a little bit of time or I volunteered a little bit, that I've made the difference that God's called me to make. See, Jesus prepared a table, a place at the table for you. In heaven, he says, I'm preparing a place. And he says, there's a banquet table and you're invited to the table. Because love does. And he asks us to do the same. So as we engage with love does as a church, my challenge to us is this. Don't think about it. Do it. And in the midst of doing it, make sure there's relationship. Make sure that there's relationship, that there are people who are being impacted, and that you create space at your table. We want to create place in this church Place at this table for anyone to be able to come and receive and be filled. So what does it look like, both here and in our personal lives? It looks like time, time, taking time to be with someone. And like I said at the beginning, this starts at home. For so many in our culture and maybe even in this church, we're strangers to our kids and they see us running back and forth, hoping, wishing that we would stop and spend some time. Can I touch on some nerves today? That doesn't just mean going to the baseball game or the football game. That our kids need face-to-face -face conversation, intimate time. Time with your spouse. Time with your loved ones, time with friends, time where you're not going, hey, what time is it? Oh, I'm checking my phone. Time where we're in each other's space, in each other's lives. Jesus came from heaven to spend time here on earth. It looks like attention. Looking someone in the eyes. Spending quality time where it's, I, I'm, there's no distractions, there's nothing else going on. It looks like sharing your faith. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? If Christ's love is supposed to compel us, are you compelled? And are you compelled? I started the list off, my list off this morning with the lady who told me about Jesus. 
because she's the person who's made the biggest difference in my life. I don't know her name. I don't even remember what she looked like. But I can confidently say that that woman, because she loved me enough to say, Barry, do you, have you said yes to Jesus? Has made the biggest difference in my life than anyone else. Love is sharing your faith. Affection with those with whom it's appropriate. But being close. Press in. I love that John says, you know, I reclined at the table and rested my head on his chest. John could hear Jesus' heartbeat. Think about this. John listened to the sound of the blood that would be shed pumping through Jesus' veins. That's how close he was. Affection, closeness. And then at the bottom of the list is resources. Yeah, God will call you to give. He'll call you to give financially. He'll call you to give of your stuff. We've been given in our family. We've been given cars, I think three or four cars that we've been given during our marriage. A travel trailer and other stuff. We moved into a house, had no furniture, and within a week we had more furniture than we could use. And so our resources can be a blessing to people. But I think it comes way down at the bottom because it's too easy for us to do that in our culture. Those other ones are hard, and there's more on this list. Church, can we be a church? Can we be a thriving church in this that we practice love does? Inside of these walls, and outside of them and express the love of God to a world that deeply needs it. Amen? Let's stand together. We invite the worship team to come forward.